0: Welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. Now joining me today is a friend of mine who's near and dear to me, Alex Catoni. Uh, her and I have been friends for quite a while and I've really seen her career take off in the last few years. I wanted to have her on the on the show for a multitude of reasons. And so while this episode is not necessarily personal development focused, it's not necessarily uh, focused in on helping you create a better relationship, it is focused in on something unique that I've talked about a little bit on the show, which is the ability to tell your own story. And, you know, as human beings, we have for a long time uh, cultivated our lives around stories and around our ability to not only hear other people's stories, but the ability to tell our own. And this is exactly what Alex is one of the world's leaders in. She is uh, the founder of a company called The Copy Posse. Um, she is a writer at heart and a multi-passionate entrepreneur by design. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about her. In 2008, um, she put law school on hold and moved to Malaysia to accept a gig at a company called Mind Valley, which some of you might be uh, familiar with, uh, which is one of the world's leading online personal growth publishers. And since 2011, she has launched several successful brands and has proudly partnered with many of the hottest transformational authors and business businesses and business owners on the planet. Uh, specifically writing high converting sales copy, scaling multi-million dollar brands and crafting iconic promotional campaigns. So needless to say she never became a lawyer, which we talk a little bit about on the show. Um, but she now runs a company called Copy Posse, which is a global army of authentic copywriters with a passion for creating community credibility and conversations with nothing but powerful and precise wording and messaging. Um, so she really does some incredible stuff. She's worked with some amazing brands you uh, know, in, in a multitude of industries, and this is something that I have become more and more interested in is how do we craft our own stories? I hear a lot of people who are business owners, who are entrepreneurs, who are aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you have a product. Maybe you have a service. Maybe you have an idea that you've been wanting to get out in the world, or maybe you are just wanting to get a little bit more proficient at being able to tell your story or just stories in general at social gatherings when you are in and around people. I know for myself, this has been something that I have not always been very gifted at. I had to work really, really hard to just get the basics in place of being able to tell my own story, let alone being able to tell the stories of other people. And so um, I wanted to have Alex on the show to dive deep into this topic about what makes a good story what are we as human beings drawn to? What turns us away? Uh, And to give you, the listeners, some insight into how online marketers think, how online uh, copywriters are trying to grab your attention. So Alex and I talk about a, a plethora of different topics, but they all revolve around our human curiosity with story and how we as human beings... Uh, are sometimes, you know, in the online space being manipulated by marketers and being taken advantage of because, you know, some words are being used and people are preying in on, uh, you know, certain pain points or fear mongering and, and whatnot. And so we dive deep into the psychology Behind telling our stories, why it's so important, why people are trying to grab our attention, this attention-based economy that we live in right now, and what you need to know from not only a consumer standpoint, but maybe from someone's uh, someone vantage point who is looking to scale their business, build a product, you know, market a service. Uh, And to actually be able to add value and and tell the narrative and tell the story behind whatever it is that you are doing. So uh, without any further delay, uh, I'm going to give you one last quick little thing that I know I need to mention here, which is we have the men's weekend in New York That is up and coming. It is getting close to sold out. So definitely head on over to ConnorBeaton.com. Check out the work with me. And guys, if you are looking to dive into doing some work around your relationship, around intimacy, uh, working on your shadow, and really the the big part of the Men's Weekend is we uh, work on ending self-sabotage uh, and working around with power dynamics within relationships. And so um, if you're interested in any of that, head on over to ConorBeaton.com, check out Work With Me and the Men's Weekends, and definitely sign up. Uh, Traver Boehm from Men Uncivilized will be also there uh, as my co-anchor for that Men's Weekend. Uh, there's a few spots left, uh, so I hope to see you there. Uh, all right, so with that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, uh, without any further delay, please welcome Alex Catoni.
1: Thank you so much for go- or bleh, start over.
0: <laughs> I was
1: just distracted. Go now. We're doing it.
0: <laughs> I feel like I feel like we should start there anyway. That was so that was so authentically <laughs> you. Having having known you, having known you for such a long time, I'm like that actually is perfect.
1: Was, what I was trying to say was thank you so much for having me, Connor, but I was good. I don't know what was coming out of my mouth.
0: That's so good. I, I love it. I love it. Okay, ready? Take two and welcome, Alex, to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Connor.
0: We're definitely still keeping the first one in, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh. So good. Okay, so Alex, we are going to talk about a whole bunch of, of stuff today that has to do with, you know, attention and storytelling and how we as individuals tell stories and how it's powerful, brands, all that kind of stuff. But before we dive into the juicy goods, uh, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Yeah, I love that question so much. When you when you first mentioned it, of course, I think probably everyone does this. You're like, oh, what's that defining moment? And then. The one that really just landed with me was, um, it was actually back in 2006. I had just finished my undergrad degree at the University of Alberta here in Canada. And um, like many people at that age, I was so confused about what I wanted to do. I Grew up in a very academic family. My twin brother is a doctor. I thought obviously I have to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know, there's one of six boxes that you can check when it comes to career. At least that's what I thought back then. And I had done my undergrad degree in, in uh, commerce with a major in business law. You know, did all the things to do that you're supposed to do to beef up your resume and your application. I was in the process of studying for the LSAT. Um, but it actually had actually moved back home to my hometown uh, of Lethbridge, Alberta and was living back in my parents' basement, took a job bartending at the keg, which was like a steakhouse down the street. And, you know, really thought, okay, I have to write this LSAT. Uh, and that's my, that's my dream. I want to be a lawyer. I had this vision of myself in power suits and driving a nice car. And it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think I was so bought into that dream of what I thought I wanted. And thought that if I had changed my mind, my parents would be so disappointed. And, you know, I really kind of felt cornered in that moment of, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. I have a basically an undergrad degree that sets me up perfectly for law school. And I woke up one morning and I was studying for the LSAT. And I just had this really just deep sinking feeling that that wasn't the path I wanted to take, which was terrifying because I had no plan B um, and didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was afraid of even gracing the topic with my with my parents, not because they weren't completely supportive, but in my head I had built up this construct of, of uh, you know that I needed to make them happy, and that was the way to do it. And my stepdad, of all people, who is more quiet and you know one of those people who likes to sit back and observe, but incredibly smart and an entrepreneur, uh, he he slipped one morning he slipped a newspaper article under my bedroom door and the headline read female attorneys among the highest depression rate in every profession or in any profession or something along those lines. And to me, that was this super powerful moment where I realized it was my dad giving me permission to do something different. And I didn't realize how important that was um, for him to do as a parent. And also as my stepdad who you know, I think I think step parents don't get enough credit. Sometimes, um, you know, he was this silent observer, and what I thought, I was, I thought I was doing a great job of hiding the fact that I really didn't want to be a lawyer and kind of going through the motions. And him slipping that article under my door was his way of saying it's okay, you you can do something different. And so I stopped studying studying for the LSAT and really just sat with that really uncomfortable feeling of not knowing what I wanted to do for a while. But ultimately, that's what led me to the path that I'm on now. And I'm so grateful for that and for for him to see what, um, what he saw and give me permission to do something different, even though, you know, ultimately, I didn't need it. But it felt it felt great to have that support.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's so unique. I don't know if there's I mean I think that story your story probably resonates with a few people in many ways right some people wanting that permission from their parents some people feeling that you know pressure from their parents that are like you have to be a doctor you have to be a lawyer you know <laughs> yeah um, you know and and getting that permission and having that freedom I think is is you know incredibly important but also feeling paid attention to you know I think we're going to talk a lot about attention and and um, just knowing that someone was sort of like looking out for you and and knowing what you're going through is such a powerful piece. I guess my next question is, how did you find your way from, you know, wanting to sort of be that power suit wearing uh, attorney or lawyer to, <laughs> to what you are doing today? Like, what does the 60 second snippet look like of how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. Honestly, I think it's the biggest lesson that anyone can do at any point in their lives where they realize, "Wait, am I, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? For who am I doing it?" And I just sat with the question of what do I really enjoy? And of course, you know, back then as a 23-year-old, I didn't quite know, but I knew I loved to travel and I knew I really, really loved my marketing classes. And that was the clarity that I had, and so I decided that I would try to find a marketing job or internship overseas because that combined two of the things I really enjoyed and that's what led me through uh, the process of applying uh, for an internship at Valley, which is one of the world's leading publishers of personal growth products online. And within, oh, I don't know, two months, I was packing my bags and moving to Malaysia, where I lived for almost four years. So it all happened very quickly after I just sat with it and got, on, and got really clear on what I wanted and then went for it.
0: Dang. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. What was, what was the move like? I mean, that's a big shift, right? I mean, I, I come from, I come from Alberta. I know what Lethbridge, Alberta is like. You know, it's got that small town mentality that I think a lot of people understand. What was it like for you? And first off, how old were you? And then what was it like for you to kind of make this massive shift from small town Alberta to moving halfway across the world to Malaysia to work for this? Uh, sort of uh, what I think was a startup company at that time
1: yeah it it was uh yeah, so I was actually twenty two I said twenty three before but i was twenty two uh and it was su- such a clear yes, i think i think when i when I look back at it, I mean yes, of course, i was twenty two and one can say, you know i was at you know I was at that age where I kind of wanted to do something different and crazy and I had been in school for four years, and that had been such a commitment and and I think it just was such a clear yes to me that when I, I remember even when I was interviewed, you know, they weren't quite sure if they were going to hire me. And I knew that they would. It was sort of like, no, this is the path. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It was so, so clear. I remember even saying to Vision on uh, the founder of Valley on our first interview that, you know, I'm like, I'll wash the toilets if I have to. I'll do anything just to have this experience. And I remember um, applying for the job getting it going through the interview process and I still hadn't really told my parents about it because I didn't want to jinx it and I remember I was at my shift at the bar and I got an email on my phone uh or on my BlackBerry I guess it was back then and it had said that you know congratulations you've you've you got the job and I went home that night um and I knocked on my folks door they were they were in their bedroom and I could see the light on under the door so I knew they were watching TV and I knocked on the door and I I went and I sat at the end of their bed and, you know, I was like, mom, dad, I'm moving to Malaysia in two weeks. And, um, I was only planning to go for six months. That's the, that's the other thing too. It felt more palpable and more, um, you know, kind of a short-term thing because it was only supposed to be for a six month internship. But then that of course grew and turned into something a lot longer term, which, um, I think is just another lesson in, in going with the flow. And when you, when you take a leap of faith, oftentimes you have no idea what's going to happen after that, but just trusting that, that the path will sort of open up ahead of you.
0: Mm, I love that. It's such, such like sage advice for, for anyone that maybe is going through a transition right now or trying to find those next steps in their career or relationship. I I love that. So, um, thanks for, for putting that out there. Um, Mm -hmm. let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and kind of dive into this topic. You know, you, Maybe just before we dive in, even though I kind of outlined it a little bit in the intro, I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what what would you say it is that you do? How do you describe it to people? Because I feel like, you know, if I was to describe it from the outside, I'd probably say something like, you know, you help get people's attention by by creating a message, a person's message or a brand's message, and and being able to put it out in a way that's aligned with their core values. But how would you sort of describe it?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a, that you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I I started doing copywriting for personal development brands sort of freelancing and it's been in the last few years that I've just really noticed a huge divide in the marketing industry where you know, copywriting is is seen to some businesses as sort of these these douchey sales tactics and, oh, you got to make sure you say the right thing at the right time to get people to pull their credit cards and buy from you. Uh, and then there was this other side of the marketing world, which was branding, which people saw as, as so separate. It was sort of the, it was the imagery and the logo and the fonts and the look and the feel. And, uh, you know, I, I really do feel that the way the industry is changing is needing to merge copywriting, which is really just the, the, um, the art of, of communicating in a very powerful and precise way with branding and, and messaging. And now that's, that's solely my focus is, is both working with brands to help them to de- develop their brand voice and their messaging so that they can use that in a really powerful way uh, in business. And then also teaching copywriting to those who want to sort of learn what I call is like the new school of copywriting, which isn't, you know, just about the tactics and and the the triggers that get people to buy. But how do you how do you use marketing in a really powerful way uh, so that you can, you know, get products that truly help people, you know, out there into the world. And so sort of that that bridge.
0: Very cool. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I, I love this idea of storytelling. And I think that more and more, people and brands um, online and offline are being drawn more towards really powerful stories. And, you know, this is a this is a a, a, an idea, a concept, a a human bonding piece that has really been around for ages. You know, I mean, we used to sit around the fire thousands of years ago uh, telling stories. And, And that's really how we've evolved as human beings is just through storytelling. And so maybe just before we dive into, you know, how we how we as brands, how we as people curate our own story and put it out, maybe just give us a little bit of insight into like, what are some of the pieces that we that naturally catch people's attention? Like, what are some of the really important aspects of storytelling that all of us, you know, should be a little bit aware of?
1: Yeah, I love that. And I love that you said, you know, it has been around since the dawn of time before there was Instagram and all of the different (laughs) digital mediums, you know, yes, you know, every culture on the planet has storytelling built into their DNA. And one of my favorite quotes, and I I have no idea where I heard this, so I'm not taking credit for it, but um, it's you can argue with facts, but you can't argue with stories. And to me, that's such a powerful, uh, you know, thought because you think of all the things that people, can disagree with you know you, you think of all of the you know Facebook conversations that are had over certain topics where it's one side saying this happened the other side saying this happened and, and trying to share share fact-based knowledge well stories especially personal stories about yourself no one can argue with that right because that's your that's your pers- personal experience and in terms of getting attention I think oftentimes, uh, people are afraid, oh, if I'm telling a story and I'm being too specific, I'm actually going to alienate a lot of people because I'm, you know, they're not going to relate to that, but it's actually the very opposite. The more specific you can be in your messaging and in your storytelling, the more people can relate to it because you're going to speak to the people who, who truly, truly identify with that because their story is similar. And, uh, I think that's such a huge component of that, uh, of storytelling is relevancy, uh, I, I think gone are the days of trying to appeal to absolutely everybody. And when you can really authentically stand sort of in your, in your power and in your messaging and share your story, the people who need to hear that will find you. And if the, if it's relevant, they will stick around. And that's the difference between what I think is real sort of attention and retention in branding versus more of the gimmicky uh, ways to get attention which of course you see used in marketing all the time and not saying that they shouldn't be used in some capacity, but you can, you can get attention with the gimmicky stuff. And then you keep attention with really, really relevant storytelling.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. I was going to say, like, what is the difference between attention and retention? Because, you know, I think when we, when we think about creating personalized stories, or trying to tell our own stories whether it's you know in a board meeting or it's at, on a date or it's at a party or a social gathering or whatever the case may be you know those two things seem to be quite different and i'm curious from your perspective like where do where does sort of personal values come into the the storytelling and how how does that sort of fit in and then how do we create that that personal connection with people like are there some principles that we need to know about
1: yeah that's a really great Great question. Starting off with, with values. That's something that actually anytime I start working with a brand, uh, we do a lot of, we go through a branding exercise and a big part of that is really figuring out, okay, what are, what are your values? Either, you know, you as a person who's sharing your message, or if you're working or writing at a brand level, what are the brand's values? And now that's more important than ever because of the oversaturation of messaging In the marketplace, which can be really daunting, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners is I hear this a lot from even some of my students, they say, well, the market's so saturated, is it even worth trying? Because how am I going to get in? And the great, the great way about how the great thing about the way people are engaging with audiences today is that there's very little tolerance for, for non value based messaging. And what I mean by that is, you can no longer sort of hide behind uh, a faceless brand. And I, I mean, a brand can be faceless in the sense that there's, it's not a personality based brand, but it still needs to have a personality attached to it, whether it's where it, whether it's the founder or whether it's, um, just the brand voice that you're going for. Like I think mm-hmm. of some of my favorite brands out there, uh, like one of my favorite makeup brands is Glossier. And, you know, I know that there's a founder, but she's not the face of the company, but the brand itself has become such a power powerhouse in the way that they, you know promote real life beauty and fresh faces and you know you're beautiful no matter your your color shape or size and they've become such a strong and powerful brand because their values are so rooted and deep in across all touch points of their of their messaging and they attract they attract the women that also value that and so it becomes this mirror effect where as a brand If you're not shying away from the values that really matter, you're going to draw in the people who go, oh, finally, I've been waiting for a business, uh, a leader, a brand, whomever to follow who I feel vibes with what I vibe with. And so it's sort of this, you know, calling to everyone out there to don't worry about ruffling feathers, create polarity. I always say polarity equals popularity because no one wants those, you know, boring messages of, uh, of of someone trying to appeal to everybody, because it's just, it's boring. And you're, you're not going to be in business long if you're not creating some sort of polarization. And so not being afraid of that. So that's one of the ways to do it. And you, know, um, you might hear if you study copywriting that the concept of us versus them, that's very much sort of having this common enemy, which sounds a little bit intense, but it can be as simple as, in the, you know, fitness or weight loss world that dieting is the common enemy, you know, and, and you see a lot of messaging moving in that direction, like diets don't work, here's what does work. Um, so it can happen at that level. It can also happen. Uh, when I talk about copywriting, I, I'm sort of, you know, brand myself as the anti marketing tactics, douchey, principles to get people to try to buy and instead focus on storytelling and branding and messaging first, and then layer on some of the elements that are just good marketing principle because, you know, because they work. And so, yeah, I mean, I can go a lot, a lot deeper into the different sort of concepts that um, are required, I guess, in messaging in order to create that value-based message marketing. But basically what I had mentioned before, which is, don't be afraid to to stand for who you, who you are and what you believe in, and that's that's sort of the maximum at the base of all great marketing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that, and I you know I think where where I kind of want to take the conversation a little bit to to begin with is this idea of you know the attention economy. I think that we've all mm-hmm. sort of heard the rise of this. You know that we live in an attention based economy that. You know, platforms like Instagram and Facebook and uh, I mean, most of our lives now are are sort of built on the foundation of brands and companies and people vying uh, really ferociously for our attention, because if they can grab our attention for long enough they can possibly grab our data, they can possibly, you know, sell us right. a product, they can, you know, they can embed their, their, you know, company values or their brand into our brains so that we're more likely to purchase their product down the road. So, you know, I think the we we do live in this largely attention based economy and an attention based life. I'm curious from your perspective, like, what are some of the things that catch people's attention? Like, where do people maybe get get stuck or you know pulled down the rabbit hole of their attention you know going into certain things from from a copy based perspective and then what causes us to sort of tune out like tell, tell us a little bit about that polarity polarity
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good question. Um, I mean there's there's plenty of different ways to get attention and one of the things that I, I find really interesting for example when you're scrolling through Netflix is, seeing what grabs your attention, you know, because there's definitely the visual aspect, uh, but then there's also the title and what's called like a log line in movies where, you know, it's the it's the one liner after the main title that you quickly read to decide if that's something you're gonna watch or not. Um, and the same thing sort of goes sort of goes for for marketing. And it's interesting to look at the The sort of pendulum swing, if you will, of what's grabbing attention visually, and then what's grabbing attention from a messaging perspective. And from a visual perspective, what I see right now is the perfectly posed, um, pretty, and I'm referring to Instagram right now, but the perfectly posed, pretty Instagram influencer type shots are actually not garnering the attention that they used to because we see them and we go, we've seen this before. I swear I see photos on Instagram that I I swear I've seen 20, 30 times before. Um, And so what's actually happening from a visual perspective is people are leaning now and are being drawn more to super authentic uh, imagery and video. And so uh, you'll notice, I think, a trend coming soon in the even less filters, even less of the presets on images, more, you know, everyday people showcasing brand, you know, brand products and and, um, and other things like that. But then even with video, I think there's that extra layer of authenticity there because it's harder to fake a video. And I think there's a huge pull towards that um, with video being sort of the future in imagery um, and messaging. And then when it comes to, the copywriting, I mean, a lot of it is sort of the the messaging that's always sort of worked and what, but the difference is, and this is kind of what I was going or saying earlier is before, let's say back like 10 years ago, once you got attention, you could be pretty confident that you could keep it for a little bit longer than you can now. Now you look at Netflix, for example. I mean, it's not like the olden days where you go into a movie and you're absolutely stuck. That's the only place you would ever get to see that movie and you'll notice even with old school movies do you notice how they have all of the captions and credits at the front of the movie Mm -hmm. and it's because they have you there you're not leaving they have your attention well now you know they want to move everything to the back of the movie and they only put the few you know key actors there at the front because that's social proof and that's authority and they go oh great these people are in this movie but for the most part they know that if they're not capturing attention right away, especially on some on a platform like Netflix, where anyone can just X out and go watch another movie, um, that that's sort of the reality of what's happening. And I I call that the Netflix effect. And it's happening across all medium plat- um, all mediums and platforms. Is there's a increase in the amount of available options with the simultaneous decrease in people's intolerance, uh, or I should say, increase in intolerance or decrease intolerance of sh- of shitty content. Um, the, the amount of, of, uh, of shitty content out there is, is not like it used to be. I mean, you can record a really great high quality video on your iPhone now, and that's what people expect. And so that's sort of from the visual perspective, from a messaging perspective, uh, you know, there's, there's things like personalization, for example, I always say in, in copy or any sort of messaging, the quicker you can make it. Super relevant and related to your audience, the quicker you're going to capture their attention, the likely, the greater the likelihood that you're going to keep their attention. So, so you know, personalization and copy. Uh, you'll even notice that not um, in emails, for example. Of course, using first name and email—that's like that's a very obvious form of personalization. But you'll notice now there's a ton of brands popping up that talk about personalized weight loss programs and personalized bras and personal, I mean, everything, you know, is is going into the direction of you're special, you're unique. This isn't a commodity that, you know, everyone else will have. We're going to create this just for you. And that can happen in any sort of form of, of business, uh, is the personalization. The other thing is, as I mentioned before, having a, a common enemy, making people feel like they belong somewhere. Uh, and that's, that's the whole, that's the whole, kind of point of having a strong mission and purpose in your messaging is because you want people to go, Oh yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I belong. Not over there with the other guys. These are the people that I, that I want to, that I want to be with. Uh, Mm -hmm. and then I think identifying, identifying the real sort of pain points those people are experiencing right away. Uh, you know, I think, It it, it goes without saying that pain is more motivating than pleasure, and that's evolutionary. We're hardwired to address our immediate concerns and protect our survival more than anything else. And being able to authentically talk to people's pain in a way that doesn't feel like putting salt in the wound, because people are becoming very intolerant to that, but in a way that's empathetic um, is is another very, very huge um, sort of aspect of creating powerful branding and messaging. And then, of course, adding value. And not just creating messaging for your business for the sake of thinking, okay, how can I make a sale immediately? But how can I make this entire experience better for the people who are visiting my website, coming to my Instagram account, um, you know, whatever whatever form of interaction they're having with you? And how can I offer so much value upfront that even if they don't purchase, they still came and had an incredible value based experience that I can feel happy about, because it's attached to my brand and messaging or whatever.
0: Yeah, very cool. Okay. So tell me a little bit more. I mean, you mentioned, I I, what I want to go into there is just being empathetic around, you know, the the quote, unquote, pain points, because I think when people are wanting to put their message out, they're wanting to tell their own story, there is such a really fine line, I've noticed, you know, whether you are creating video content or written content, and, and putting that on uh, online uh, around sort of like hitting on these, you know, quote unquote pain points. So what are some of the uh, what are the, some of the tips that you would give to people that maybe are producing content or they're wanting to put their story out there in written form or verbal form through a through a talk or through a video? What are some of the things that people need to know when it comes to speaking to people, other people's experience and sharing their own story specifically around being vulnerable and and sharing uh, some of those hard, hard things?
1: Yeah, that's a I mean, that's a really good question. I think a, a big I mean, a big part of it is, it, you know, if you're personally sharing your story, and I know, for example, Connor, with your brand, your, your, you're very much it's about you and your story and your and your own experience. And that's such a powerful way to be able to do that authentically and I think um, as I mentioned before when you share your own pain it's crazy how many people will say oh my gosh I can totally relate to that and that I think is is one of the most powerful ways to be able to talk about pain in a way that's so empathetic and so authentic that you know you're not saying to people you feel like this and I know that you're miserable because of this you're you're truly just sharing your experience and then and then having you know pivoting, to them. And I think that's where, that's where sort of the, the bridge comes from saying, okay, I'm sharing my story, but now I'm going to pivot and, and and ask and and invite you into this experience with me. And is this something that you're um, experiencing too? Um, Mm. That's a, you know, that's a really powerful form of storytelling. Uh, A lot of people have heard of the hero's journey. I talk a lot about that uh, in my copywriting programs. and, And it's, it's something that's used in a lot of uh, movies as well, and so you know, if you're a movie buff, it's fun to kind of go through and look at the different the different movies that use this hero's journey kind of storytelling arc as a way to communicate a powerful message. But it's very much, you know, you're asking, you're you're sharing your story from a perspective of, okay, what was the before me? What was the status quo? What was the old norm, or origin of what I was, you know, going through? And then what was the big obstacle or challenge or pain point or adversity that that you know, led me to find a different solution. And to be able to share sort of that from a really authentic place, I think allows people to relate to you in a way that doesn't feel like you're, you're trying to guess at what people are experiencing or feeling, because if you've gone through it, there's other people out there who have too.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I just wanted to circle back around on is, is this idea of basically conflict, you know, and sort of like creating a little bit of polarity and conflict in the storytelling, in in the storytelling and in the messaging. And I think that this is something that I've seen a lot of lately in mainstream media, and a little bit in in the social media scene and and influencers and brands and whatnot. Maybe just for for the listeners that are out there, talk to us a little bit about how brands how people use conflict to get our attention.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think it's, it is sort of this, this very much this trend right now where you do see a lot more brands and influencers sort of stepping into the limelight and being vulnerable and sharing, um, sharing some, some form of conflict or adversity in their life. And I, I mean, I truly, I truly believe that when you lead with something like a crisis, I mean, it sounds intense, but we tend to think, and this is going to sound funny, but we tend to think that what we're going through is so unique to us. And we think that, oh my gosh, we had this crisis and no one will understand. And now it's actually, it's just quite the opposite. And in fact, if you're trying to position your brand or messaging without ever, you know, without ever talking about conflict, which is sort of the peaches and cream um, marketing of the past, which is all, you know, just pinpointing this American dream life and everything can be perfect if you drink Coke, (laughs) Um, you know, a lot of that is is shifting where people almost won't trust you unless you share some form of of conflict. And I think it has to be done in, in an authentic way because I know probably like you and a lot of the people listening that there's times where you see people sharing on social media and it doesn't feel all that real or there's something about it that feels manufactured or fake. And I think one of the best ways to be able to address real conflict that people are dealing with and if you have an audience or a business or a brand is to get real and ask tough questions. And I know that's something you do really well, Connor, because I see it on your Instagram, but allowing people the opportunity to join you in the conversation and share what their experiences have been and use real-life stories of people in your community. Of course, you know, not calling anybody out, but using real-life stories of people in your community who have experienced some sort of conflict or challenge to make your brand even more relatable. you know, Because there's only so much one might be able to share about their own life. But when you can crowdsource stories, um, that I think is such a powerful way to use conflict in marketing that's, you know, completely authentic and real.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the interesting pieces is, and and I think one of the reasons why conflict is so powerful, is that there's a natural reaction that we have in our minds and in our bodies. Like our, our nervous system, I was reading something about this the other day that people that watch, you know, certain media outlets uh you know an hour or two a day, that their nervous systems, their their sympathetic nervous systems that are responsible for fight or flight are uh, actually report and show having higher levels of reactivity. And so they're much more uh, sensitive because the type of content that they are watching is much more fear-based and is meant to actually trigger certain parts of their brain right like the amygdala primal. which is responsible yeah. for the fear center it's very primal and so a lot of media companies are actually sort of leveraging very basic biology and you know how our nervous systems work to sort of capture our attention. Um, you know, using what, you know, maybe could be conceived as as unhealthy, unhealthy conflict. Mm-hmm. But but, you know, because it because it's sort of tackling people and engaging their nervous system and, and sort of triggering fight or flight to sort of happen in that moment. But but how do we so how do we engage in conflict in sort of like an ethical way in a moral way? Because I think mm-hmm. that's what I'm really interested in is like, you know, I I've always tried to walk this line of I don't want to have this shitty clickbaits like there's a bunch of guys out there that run men's brands and they're like you know they their the video titles are like don't be such a fucking pussy and like you know why you're not getting laid more and I'm like oh, I don't want to create crappy titles like that just to create conflict just to get clicks okay. and, and it's it's because for me I'm like that's out of alignment with my values it's out of alignment with you know the the brand that I want to put out in the world um, and so how how do we create ethically based morally based conflict i know that maybe it's like a loaded and very big (laughs) solving
1: the world's issues yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um no but i mean that's such a good question because yeah i mean and and that's that's from like the dawn of time in terms of media of using fear fear in in trying to capture attention and and it's it's sad, but it's true, right? I mean, I was I'm actually reading a book right now, rereading it. It's one of my favorite books on storytelling. It's called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, and in it, he talks about how no one would go see a movie if it didn't trigger some primal reaction, whether it be you know a, you know saving a loved one, um, saving your own life, um, you know, sex or relation relationships and love. It's always got this thread of primal instinct kind of weaved through it. Uh, and then he gave a couple of funny examples of, you know, would you go see this movie if, if uh, so-and-so wasn't trying to save their life? And you're like, oh no, God, that would be terribly boring. <laughs> um, and I think that's just sort of human nature. However, I do think there is, you know, an ethical way to do it. And I think that's where storytelling really comes in. Because if you look at sort of the traditional ways of grabbing attention, it's like, Using irony, using shock value, using some sort of you know novelty. There's a lot of ways to grab attention that aren't that isn't based on conflict. But then, of course, the need for us to avoid pain is a huge, huge, huge way to get attention. The way I would say to ethically do it is because uh, I agree with you. I mean, I sometimes will be doing some research on content and seeing the types of titles and, and uh, content that people are creating. And then of course you go to the content and you're like, Oh God, that, you know, that didn't need to be, that didn't, didn't need to be so intense, uh, with that headline, but it's finding, it's finding ways to, to lead people in, in a way that's attention grabbing, but not necessarily fear mongering. And I think the best way to do that is to just say, okay, well, what would I find interesting? and want to click on that doesn't necessarily make me feel like I'm being a total douchebag marketer, but for example, using a mysterious, concept or a relation, um, a mysterious relationship, like, Oh, what this has to do with that. That's different and unique might make people go, wait, that's interesting. Um, or for example, using, um, uh, I mentioned before irony, you know, one of my, one of my favorite, I have these little flashcards that I use and it's a headline, actually like a headline game where you come up with really funny news headlines. And the game is called man bites a dog. And what's funny about that is it's, it's ironic, you know, and so there's ways that you can grab attention that make people go, wait, what? I have to go see what this is about without necessarily, without necessarily feeling like you're fear mongering. Uh, Another, another way, as I mentioned, is personalization and being able to say, tell a story that relates to your listeners and to your readers, because if something super specific and unique happened to you. Um, and it's also happened to them, you can almost guarantee that that person will go read that, that content or finding a way to rally people together around a cause. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, but it's, and and I think as, as the new kind of generation of leaders coming up and, and teaching and creating community, I really believe it's our job to, to try to do so in a way that is, you know, ethical. Cause I don't want to be part of the person who adds to the, to the fear mongering. And to be honest, I, I, kind of shut that out in a lot of ways. And I think you probably do too, because it's, it can get overwhelming. You you read, you scroll through your, your news feed on Facebook and you're like heart beating out of your chest because of, you know, the, the, like you said, the conflict. And so being able to do that in a way that's just more personal, but also knowing that there are other ways to do it.
0: Yeah, what I think is interesting is that, you know, when you look at a lot of mainstream media and a lot of mainstream news stories and, and even social media, today there's, there is so much fear mongering. And, you know, I think what we know from a neurological and and psychological, um, level and and basis is that that information, that level of, of, of stress actually lives in your body and gets stored in your unconscious mind. And, and it can impact you in a very real way. And so, you know, I've, I've recommended to clients like, you know, go on a media detox or, or, like really go through your social media and see the accounts that you're following, and 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 start to make some changes in terms of the type of content you're consuming, and see how your mental health starts to shift. Because it and it sounds ridiculous in, in some way um, when I when I say it, when I hear myself saying it. But I've gone through this and actually just like called out certain media channels. And it's not that I'm ignoring; I'll still check in once in a while to make sure that I'm like you know sort of in the know, but. But for, for a large part of us, like we consume and are just inundated with fear-based. I mean, look at what's happening right now. You know, I mean, you look at American politics, you look at the coronavirus, you look at the stock markets, like just getting absolutely pummeled right now. And people are in a frenzy, you know, like it, it's really, really interesting. And so, you know, when we think about storytelling and creating conflict, I, you know I do love this idea of having responsibility as individuals when we are creating content when we are putting our messages and our stories out there as individuals as brands and and how we can do some of those things i'm actually i'm also interested on your take in terms of putting our messages out there and, and leveraging vulnerability what mm-hmm. i've noticed quite a bit is that there's such a interesting line where people can share vulnerably and we are captivated by it you know like you see the the stories the video stories online of like the you know dad with like the you know he's got like his little girl on the counter and she's singing a song about like how great her hair is and stuff like that and, and we love it and it feels very vulnerable and and real and authentic And then, you know, somebody can be telling a story and it feels like forced vulnerability. And we, you know, we get like the heebie-jeebies and we get creeped out and it's like, no. So for you, like, where does vulnerability fit into how we tell our stories as individuals and as brands?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think, yeah, I think the answer is, you know, it can't be manufactured and, I think that I, I'll reframe that. I know that it can be in certain, um, ad, you know, like you said, we see certain ads and, and we feel like, wow, you know, that's incredibly vulnerable. It it can it can be showcased, but it can't be manufactured in a way that those people in that story need to be sharing it from personal experience. At least that's how I feel. And, and I think when you do see content online, um, you can feel when someone's trying to force vulnerability. And I think everyone needs to realize too, that there is a spectrum, you know, I know for, I have a ton of friends who are just, just such beautiful, vulnerable people that they're able to share their story more vulnerably and easily than others. Uh, And I know, and I know other people, and I would say I'm probably more in this, in this camp of, I will be vulnerable when I feel safe. And when I feel that I'm in a, a medium with people who I trust. And so being authentically you means that you use vulnerability in your business in the way that feels right for you, you know? And I think that it can come with maturity. It can come with time, but there's no way to sort of say, Oh yeah, I'm going to go do a video now. And I'm going to be super vulnerable because that's going to get people to really relate to me and resonate with me and buy my stuff. Um, I just think that's sort of a backwards way of looking at it and, you know, being able to share your story is completely, you know, a powerful, is a, is a completely powerful medium, but to do it in a way that feels kind of right in an integrity. I know that's not a very cut and dry answer, but you know, I think it's, there's a, there's a time and a place for when vulnerability presents itself in a way that feels so natural and it, and you kind of have to ride that wave rather than try to manufacture it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I hear what you're saying. I, I think if I, you know, if I was to sort of like rephrase it, it's almost like, you know, tell your story, but don't tell your story to try and get people to listen to you. Just tell your story because that's what's true for you. And I think what's, I think what's interesting about, you know, what we're, what we're sort of diving into here and what's standing out to me is this, this idea of like, okay, if we're going to tell our story as an individual, if we're going to create content, whether it's our personal story or our brand story, uh you know one create conflict you know create like a little bit of polarization and maybe that's through the words that you use maybe that's through uh you know a sort of a, a catchy title or, or concept um, you know, man bites dog, <laughs> that sort of like backwards, uh, that sort of like backwards uh, concept that pulls people in. And then, you know, be authentic, be vulnerable and real. What are some of the other basic principles of telling really good stories that that make people want to listen that that allow people to engage in your message?
1: Yeah, I think another really, uh, another really powerful one is to because you mentioned before how you've seen a lot of people in the, in the sort of men's coaching space where they say things like, if you do this, you know, it means you're a pussy or whatever, um, is to be able to actually call out what you think is not working. Uh, and that's, you know, a way to, for example, rather than fear mongering, imagine just asking a question saying, do you believe that if you do X, Y, Z, that makes you a pussy?" Well, what's happening there is all the people who are reading that are answering a yes or no question. And if the, if the answer is yes, you know, they're absolutely going to read that or watch that video because they know that it has to do with something that they, that they might deep down believe. And maybe they they'll watch it even if they don't think so, because they're interested to kind of find out why people think that, you know, and so being able to address the questions and the uncertainties that people have in their mind, I think is a really powerful way to do it and it helps it helps people overcome objections as well. I know I found for me with the content that I create is when I've started answering people's questions and because people would come to me and say I've asked this a million other places and no one seems to give me a straight answer. Um and I'll do a video or I'll answer a question about that particular topic and the amount of you know, love that you get from people because you're talking about a topic that other people tend to shy away from is a very, very powerful way. Um, I think to relate and resonate with, with a bunch of different people. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but, and you said this too, telling your story, not for, you know, not to get people to listen, but tell your story from a very authentic place, but also reciprocity, you know, telling your story in a way that, is you're doing so because you know it can actually help people and it'll help them get over an obstacle that they have the amount of i mean you if you turn a follower or a visitor or you know anyone who's sort of watching you from an arm's length and you help them deal with a real problem they're experiencing in their life without asking for something in return they will be your fan for life and i think i at least when i'm creating content i approach every single piece of content uh, from that perspective is you know some people might say oh my gosh that's crazy you're giving away so much value for free and I know you do the same too with your podcast and your videos and and what you share through your Instagram all of that information could be packaged into a course that you could sell absolutely and make a bunch of money doing but what you realize is if you give away your best stuff for free people will keep coming back for more and they will keep and they will keep paying you for more uh, and so that's I think a just a huge, um, an absolutely necessary part of business and branding today is kind of ditching the idea of, I only want to give you a little bit of perceived value, but it's not really anything valuable. And then, then you'll buy to really get the value. And to me, I just think that's such a backwards way of, of thinking.
0: Yeah, I I agree. 100%. I think one of the things that I've noticed over the years is just being able to I I love the idea of just answering people's questions. Like I've actually turned a lot of my engagement in, you know, on Instagram and, and, you know, in the man talks community on Facebook, it's just like, you know, 5000 guys into just answering people's questions. Because what I've learned is that, a, you know, I can tell stories in there about clients that I've worked with and whatnot. But it, it's also such a humanizing experience, you know. And I think about the the individuals that I engage with online, the the people that I learn from, in, you know, in real life and 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 off and online, offline and online. And really, a lot of it is just like answering my questions, you know, and being able to do so in a way that maybe tells a little bit of a story that has a lesson that has that conflict that has that, you know, the hero's journey sort of embedded into it. And what I found is that it actually is such a great community builder. Because what a lot of us are experiencing is that the with the rise of social media, is that many people just feel isolated. And so, you know, they they feel like their, their problems and what they're going through in their relationships or their business or their work environment professionally, or their health is, is very unique to them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of like, you know, niche to them. And when we start to answer some of these questions, and when we start to open up that dialogue, I think what it really does is it, it actually brings people together in a very real way. So I love that. Uh, I love that idea. In terms of in terms of like where you see online content going, because I think you've sort of always been, and this is one of the other reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, is that you've sort of always been at the forefront of this idea of like ethical marketing and content creation. And and I'm curious from your perspective, where do you see online content going? What should people be looking out for? as consumers of said content, and as producers of of that content?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really, that's a great question. I think uh, one of the the things I see is that the way people are engaging uh, with content online is changing so much in the sense that, you know, people can smell uh, from a mile away, sort of the push strategy of marketing, where, you know, you're trying to fabricate a need for a product that isn't there. And what's happening now, and you see this kind of major shift is things are kind of swinging away from the very, very kind of direct response marketing, you know, solely direct response marketing of click an ad, buy a product that works really well for commodity goods that solve a very specific need. Um, And, you know, you go to Amazon, and you type in what you need, and you get it. Uh, And I think right now, what people are looking for is genuine, as you said before, genuine connections. And it's so ironic that social media is meant to connect people and bring people closer together but it's sort of done the opposite. And and I truly think that most people are becoming extremely intolerant of anything that feels forced or fake or you know non-transparent and a lot of a lot of people are looking towards to brands like yours and other personality-based businesses of people who not not only even are necessarily our experts, because that's the thing I wanted to address too, in case anyone's listening to this thinking, okay, but I'm not necessarily an expert on a certain topic. How do I answer people's questions? But you can build a very powerful brand and business by being the information seeker, the fact finder, the one who puts herself in the shoes of trying to solve a problem and going out and finding the experts who can answer that question. I mean, that's essentially how after Tim Ferriss wrote his book and then started his podcast, now he's sort of this expert on, on uh, so many different topics because he presented himself as sort of the best friend to go seek out questions or seek out answers to people's questions. And he was someone who did that really, really well early on. And yeah, I mean I think I think as I mentioned before video is the future. If you're st- if you're producing content, think of okay, I'm going to make video a part of my marketing plan because it's it's the best and easiest way to authentically communicate in a way that, you know, really doesn't feel fake or forced. And I think a lot of the businesses that we probably have seen dominating the uh, airwaves online are going to be falling to the wayside unless they innovate quickly and make real connection and real conversations. And have a real cause and mission to what they're doing uh, in their marketing, and if they don't do that, you know the smaller the smaller guys will take over, which is great, and I think that's a huge opportunity for a lot of new and budding businesses and entrepreneurs.
0: Mm, So good. And uh, where do you see this? Because one of the things that I've noticed recently in terms of storytelling and brands engaging with people is that. It seems to be getting more and more personalized. You know, a lot of brands are trying to engage with people in a very direct, personal way. I've noticed that, like, people in the personal development industry have started to, you know, I saw like Gary Vee and uh, Tom Billu and Gabby Bernstein, and, you know, these, these types of people like giving out their quote unquote phone number and saying like, "Text me and I'll I'll message Hi. you back." Where's the like? Where's the saturation point for that? Like, how much access to to you as a, as a personal brand or to you as a, uh, you know, a brand that sells products, how much access is too much access? And is there a saturation point in your opinion in the near future?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I do find it interesting. The, the text me, and I mean, it's, it's, it's smart, you know, right now that still feels pretty unique in a year, it won't. <laughs> in a year, it'll be like, everyone will be, you know, aware of the fact that you're not actually texting them and that you're texting a, a service that sends an automated reply. And I mean, that's just the reality. It, you know, I would literally pay a million dollars to any one of them if they could prove to me that it was actually them sitting on their phone and privately and personally responding to everybody. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, I think that's why it has to be sort of a mix of both, as I said earlier. Like, I think you know, it is about trying new things and it is about being n- novel in a sense that adds value in a way that feels new and exciting and, and not saying they're not adding crazy value by, by sharing your phone number, you know, even though everybody would know that that would be an automated service. If they're tr- getting information that feels unique and different and they prefer to get it sent to their phones than their inboxes, that's cool. You know, that's you're adding value in, in, a, in a different way, um, but I think it never needs to be just about the tactics. You know, it never, it can never be just about, oh, I'm going to all of a sudden use SMS in my business and that's going to change everything. Um, it has to be emerging of, okay, this is, this is a unique strategy that I'm going to try, but the core messaging and what I'm doing is the same. And, um, I say this a lot too, with kind of multi-channel marketing is never, never, never putting all of your eggs in one basket. And, It's because a lot of the channels we use, we don't own or control. And so that becomes scary in in its own way that if you've built, for example, an entire business on Instagram, you have a massive following, yet you've never done anything other than engage with people via Instagram, then all of a sudden the algorithm changes and only a small percentage of people are actually seeing your content, your business just basically plummeted. Um, And so really finding ways to genuinely engage with your audience in the places and the ways that they want. And I think we'll see a lot of personalization in the form of segmentation and communication. So not just, not just, um, personalized in the sense of, um, oh, Hey, you know, take this quiz and we'll, we'll personalize this weight loss plan, you know, to your body type or anything like that. That's still very powerful, but I mean, now the market is getting so, uh, like so savvy to the fact that they're being marketed to, but if you can personalize their marketing, the marketing based on their behavior and be able to integrate their behavior across multiple different channels. and I know now we're getting into sort of the tech speak, but that's going to be a very powerful way to, to get in front of more people and to allow them to engage with you in the way they want to. I mean, I have followers who are just hardcore YouTubers and they only ever engage with me on YouTube. I have some that only ever engage with me on Instagram and I have some that prefer my email list. And so, you know, giving people the option is a unique opportunity as well to kind of say, hey, how do you want to hear from me? Because sort of the batch and blast, send everybody to the same thing and send it again and again and again and again, and then hope that they keep buying or engaging with you um, is sort of an outdated model, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Okay, well, we I mean, I feel like you and I could jam on this for a long time. because This is such a good I mean, this is a big topic, you know, the idea of storytelling, the idea of curating content online. And I think it's something that's becoming more and more prominent. You know, I think people are are very interested in how they curate their content even if they're not doing it for a business, you know, business reasons. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you just like a few rapid fire questions for us to sort of close out here um, that maybe will be a little bit more tactical. So let's just start with, let's just start with this. What do you think is the most effective way to engage people with an email list?
1: Oh, the most effective way. I would say sending out surveys. And asking them what they want more of, oh. and how they want to receive it.
0: Great, never even thought about that. That's yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, uh, what? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like people are going to get a survey from me in like three weeks, and they'll be like, "I'm listening to <laughs> your podcast, and I know that Alex told you to do this." Um, okay, uh, uh, okay. What about Instagram? What do you think is going to be the next thing on Instagram that people should pay attention to?
1: IGTV. I don't think it's necessarily the next thing, but you see, uh, I mean, there's stats out there, you can research it, the way that people are engaging with feed posts has substantially gone down. And the amount of video consumption is going way up. So I think IGTV is going to be the next really big part of, of that platform.
0: Awesome. Do you think Facebook Watch will ever really become a thing?
1: Ooh, I think it'll become a thing. If they can maintain uh, their audience, but um, Facebook's audience is drastically decreasing. I mean, of course they own Instagram, so, you know, they're not in trouble or anything, but I don't know. That's, I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know about that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, if someone was building a personal brand and they are trying to put their content out online, where do you suggest that they start first? Like what's the highest value, lowest barrier entry, YouTube.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. How come?
1: I mean, I mean, I so those of you who ha- are aware of, of my brand or if you have checked out my brand, I didn't do anything on social media until a year ago. And I now have a channel of over 20,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I think it's because YouTube feels hard. It seems like it's a lot of work posting and creating video content, but the audience is hungry and the YouTube audience is there because they're seeking answers to problems that they have.
0: Mm, So good. Okay, great. Uh, What about brands? Where do you think brands should start like that are selling products and services?
1: I mean, I would probably say the same thing, to be honest, uh, if they have a personality behind their brand. If not, then I I think Instagram, Instagram ads um, is definitely, is definitely a huge opportunity.
0: Awesome. And for the people that are just getting started trying to curate their message, or maybe they've been, uh, you know, telling their story for years on end, what advice and insight would you give to them about producing their story and telling their story online or in person?
1: Uh, That's what yeah, I would say get really clear on who you're on who you're speaking to, because I think it it can often get really convoluted and you're telling your story, but you're not even quite sure why you're telling it or who needs to hear it. And so don't, don't worry about being specific. Don't worry about alienating. Really think who are the, who's the one person that needs to hear the story and how will they benefit from it? How can I help them? Uh, and that's going to really guide you.
0: Awesome. Awesome, Alex. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And this was a phenomenal conversation. I feel like, um, you know, I think a lot of people learned, hopefully learned a lot. I know I learned a lot about, uh, about storytelling and about how we communicate online. And um, I, I loved a lot of your insight it was really powerful. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
0: And for people that want to learn more about you, about what you do, about copy posse, about everything, where should they go and hunt you down? <laughs>
1: uh, they can just check out my website, alexcatoni.com, and that's, they'll have you know, all the links to all the other fun stuff on there.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for everyone that's tuned in today, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to leave us a rating review and share this episode with uh, someone that you know would love to listen to it and benefit from it, uh, whether it's personally or professionally. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.